This podcast does not constitute financial or investment advice. It is for educational, general information, and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your own financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I think as a mother, I think the best thing is you're the role model. And that's one way to sort of always think about it. So model the behavior that you would like them to emulate. Because I noticed that as I get older, even though you talk to them and they don't acknowledge anything you say, they you turn around and you hear them talking later and it's like a mini me principle. So I think if you, you want them to grow up with great values, you have to live by them yourself. And if you do the right thing, you provide the right environment in terms of you know, home life and education and friendships, I think your kids will turn out fine. You're listening to Banking on Girls, the podcast that explores the importance of financial literacy for girls and young women. And I'm your host, Marina Batmiwala. Join me on this journey to uncover insights and inspiration. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Marie Myers, the Chief Financial Officer for HP Inc. In this role, she serves as a strategic advisor and is responsible for all aspects of financial operations, including accounting, financial planning, tax, audit, and treasury. Marie is a passionate advocate for digital transformation and automation. And prior to being named CFO in February 2021, Marie served as HP's Chief Transformation Officer, where she led the company's IT and transformation organizations. She is committed to education and to helping ensure STEM for girls and also for advancing the digital agenda in education, where she serves on the boards of the University of St. Thomas in Houston and the University of Queensland in Australia. She's a native of Australia and earned a Bachelor of Arts in Political Science and a Bachelor of Economics from University of Queensland in Brisbane. And she also earned an MBA from the University of St. Thomas in Houston, Texas. Welcome, Marie. Thank you, Marina. That's quite a mouthful, but it's great to be here. <laughs> so great to have you here. Marie, you are playing a formidable role in today's world. You're at the intersection of technology and finance. Now, as a young girl growing up in Australia, give us a glimpse into your early childhood and maybe some of the influences on your life. Sure. No, and firstly, it's an absolute pleasure and a privilege to be here today. So I grew up in far north Queensland in a place called Merriwinnie that I'm sure most people can't even spell. When I grew up, it had one R, but uh, there were debates about two R's or not, but it was a small migrant area, really a lot of Italian people and, and grew up in the cane fields. So pretty remote. I had dirt roads when I went to school. I don't think I wore shoes till I was about 13. I certainly made up for it in the last sort of 30 years of my life. But I think what really impacted me very young on was my dad was an incredibly hard worker and he gave me the chance to really work just like the guys when I was young. I used to go out in the cane field and plant cane and he paid me the same as he paid all the men. And it was just such a formidable impression having the opportunity to make really good money as a teenager. and he gave me the liberty to do what I wanted with it. So uh, great, great childhood, one that I wish my own kids had, but it was just a phenomenal time, I think, to grow up at that era in the bush in Australia. Yeah. And so your dad really, you know, he treated you as an equal to everyone else. And that that was so influential, obviously, in everything else you've done in your life. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that. I mean, I think had I not had those opportunities to really, you know, be treated fairly like the guys, I think it would have formed a different impression. And it was really funny. One day, just a few years ago, I was in the supermarket with my mother and the guy who used to deliver milk came up to me and said, 
I remember when you used to plant sugarcane with the guys. He goes, we all used to just remark it. You know, that was pretty hard work for a young girl to do back then. Some of my girlfriends, we did it, but not many. You know, those sugarcane sticks were like seven, eight feet tall. And I used to get out there and cut the cane and plant it. And I used to think about the sunglasses I could buy with it, actually. I was sitting on the back of the planter thinking, gosh, I wish this would come to an end. But I thought, ah, I could go buy myself a nice pair of kangaroochi or Arden sunglasses that I happen to like. So the pain was worth the gain. Yes. Oh, gosh. At some stage you became interested in technology or finance. What happened then in high school after those early days? I must admit that when I went to high school, it was pretty small, so I did a lot of correspondence, but I started studying economics, and that's where my passion for finance really began. And it was when I was quite young. I mean, I was maybe 13, 14, and I would get the books on economics, and I absolutely devoured it. And when I went to university, I ended up ultimately doing a whole degree in it and you know, became really just sort of memorized by international business and international finance. And that was pretty much in my late teens. And I'm grateful for that. I'm not sure what the motivation was. Maybe it was the chance to get out of far North Queensland and, you know, explore the world, just like all good Australians. I think we like to get that global perspective, but I'm grateful because I had that chance when I was really young as a girl to really understand economics and finance. And so how did this economics interest and skill then translate into a career in digital advocacy, digital technology? Quite by accident. It was never planned. I literally came to the US after I I worked in the Australian government for a few years and decided to take some time overseas, fell into an MBA in the US and, you know, did like a special topic on a technology company at the time and got my first break in the US in tech. And that sort of just fell naturally then from tech into finance. And then I've spent the last several decades you know, deep in a finance career that's taken me everywhere from, you know, sort of controlling audits, CFO roles, et cetera, software companies, hardware, obviously at HP, but, you know, all over the world and and with deep sort of financial acumen. And it's been an extraordinary experience as a woman, I think, to really navigate my way through has been a a pretty male-dominated career and a Mm male-dominated domain in many ways. Yeah, lots of challenges, I imagine. Yes, a lot of challenges, (laughs) Marina. Obviously, overcoming them one at a time. Surveys have shown that the majority of girls get their financial literacy from their parents. You're obviously extremely financial literate. You're obviously running a huge organization. Did your family or any particular parent have an influence on the way you actually grew up thinking about money? I think it was my dad. He was incredibly transparent as we grew up as kids. He ran a business and also had, you know, a sugar farm, but he also had other businesses. And business was discussed at our family table. It was something that, you know, it wasn't a conversation at that era that was sort of reserved just for the men to go off and talk. It was something that my father openly discussed with us as kids. And I think that made a tremendous difference because I grew up understanding, you know, what it looked like and what it was all about and, you know, how you invested, how you took risks. And he didn't tell me everything, but at least he was very transparent. And I think that was just Economic and financial transparency with your children is something I've tried to emulate with my own kids. You know, that's a theme that is coming up over and over again. This is episode, I think, 18. And this gratefulness that people have that their parents were transparent. And it's a great lesson to all of us who are parents as well. So he would would he discuss the family finances or would he talk generally about the economy? Pretty much everything. I mean, you know, we grew up in an environment where, you know, we would talk about, you know, family's income was. I knew all those stats. It wasn't something that my dad hid from us as a kid. I mean, he talked about how much he made this year, 
you know, we talked about the state of the business, you know, what we were investing in as a family and we sort of, you know, were actively involved with my dad's decisions to make investment choices. So I think that was really important. And he, he also helped us understand what it cost, you know, what things weren't free, right? And it was, he did it pretty hard. He worked incredibly hard and he shared with us that the pain of that too as well. And I think it really imprinted deeply in my own heart, just, you know, hard work pays off, but it is about a lot of hard work too. But you do, you know, he was a really prudent individual. So I, I think I learned, he always taught me, you know, make sure whatever decision you make, you can go to bed and sleep at night. So I sort of lived with that mantra, both professionally and personally. Yeah. And that comes down to your own ethics and integrity, right? Exactly. That's something I sort of use as one of my hallmark values. Yeah. So now looking back, is there anything when it comes to money and finances that you wished you had known when you were younger? Yeah, I really wish I'd understood the stock market a lot better. You know, I wish when I was a teenager that someone had, you know, my dad was really anti-stocks. He was a real estate guy and sort of bricks and mortar. Like, I want to see this stuff. You know, he had friends that were stock guys and he always sort of put the stock guys down. So I wished in retrospect, I'd had a better understanding of stocks because I think I would have made a lot better decisions had I understood the stock market. It took me much longer than I wish in my lifetime to have got confidence in stocks and stock market investing. And that was one of my biggest regrets, to be honest with you, financially. That's so interesting. There's some research done called The Fearless Girl done through the George Washington University. And that research shows that women really have a significant lack of confidence when it comes to stock market participation. Yeah. Um, so you're not alone there. Something that really yeah. overcome in childhood, you know, or teenagehood. Yeah. It just came too late. I just didn't yeah. understand it. And it's not that difficult. I mean, it's pretty no. easy, but, right. but I just didn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And a huge chunk of that is also confidence, right? In yeah. saying I can understand it and I'll take the steps to do that. So now you have two daughters. What are the greatest challenges you have in raising them in today's environment? Well, I think just getting them comfortable with like basic financial literacy and understanding, you know, that money doesn't grow on trees, which is what my dad used to say, you know, that those Lululemon outfits you like are very expensive. And I think just this generation is so different to how I grew up where, you know, they have so much, everything is plentiful and that it's never ending. So I think understanding you need to save for the future, that there is going to be a future where maybe, you know, it's not that easy. So make sure you put some money away and that you're financially prudent. And that also that you have confidence in how to handle money. What I see with teenagers, that just it's the money just slips through their fingers. I think everything's now for this generation, especially for young girls, they want everything. And so just understanding you can't have it all. And, you know, maybe more prudent. Actually, my daughter's got her, her second job tonight. So I'm really proud of her. She's actually out there as a teenager working and I challenged her. She wants a car by the time she's 16. She needs at least $10,000. I said, I'll match it. We have a matching principle in our house, but you need to cough up at least 50%. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a really great example that you're setting them. And, you know, do you talk to them about sort of electronic payments and this sort of disconnect between like electronic money and real money? Because that's the number one thing I'm hearing from others that causes them stress right now. Yeah. I see that when it's on a card and it's electronic, it, it just doesn't feel real. So it seems very easy for them to burn through the cash, to be frank, versus when they've got it in their pocket. But, you know, we've worked this matching principle in our house. Where if you put it, you know, if you invest your money, then we will match you 100% on your investment. So, so far, they've been pretty frugal because they want their return. But, you know, I do notice that once they get it on a card, if they're traveling for a hockey tournament or something, 
you know, we usually get a phone call. I need a, I need a top up. But I think once it gets into a safe place like a bank, they don't ever want to open it and, and they don't want to take it out because they know that there's a 50% withdrawal fee when they take it out as well. That's a really unique idea. And I, I think that's a great thing for our listeners to consider with their kids. So it's sort of- I'll keep you posted yeah, on how the car it. goes next year. The, the car becomes a possibility in March. So we'll okay. see. At least she's very motivated now, might add to work. So she's got several part-time jobs on the weekend and she's trying to work. Great. We can't wait to hear about the car. You're also an advocate for advancing the digital agenda in education. How do you think artificial intelligence, everyone's talking about chat GPT right now. How do you think that's going to impact your daughters, their future lives and careers? I think artificial intelligence, I mean, I think generative AI chat, aka chat, is going to have just a a monumental impact on my kids. There's just no doubt about it. I've I've always been a bit of a, a sort of digital, whatever you want to call me, grandmother, I suppose. I got involved in a lot of digital technology many, many years ago and started working with that in my job as a controller. So it it became really clear to me that I needed to stay relevant for the sake of my own kids. My husband's not at all technology oriented. I'm I'm the one in the house and sort of sort of drive that agenda. And the kids are just living their whole life differently. The way they're going to work, the way we worked is it's not going to all look the same. And there are huge, massive risks to that. You know, I see today just in terms of social media and young girls, I think that it's really hard to for them to navigate this. They don't always have the emotional maturity to manage through all that social media that's coming with them, coming at them. I've tried really hard to probably have a to help them to understand that you know being on social media all the time is not good for them mentally or emotionally. My little, so younger children, I've, I've had pretty strict rules around access to, to technology, but as they get older, you have to let them mature into it, so to speak. But it's not an easy one to crack. But I do think that the, the AI space is going to be one that's going to be tough for them to navigate, potentially even more difficult than what we experienced with sort of the social media platforms, because it will open up the world to all types of you know issues. There's also a lot of positivity, I think, that will come with this in terms of making things easier to do, taking away a lot of mundane work that we've all done in our careers. But with that comes a massive price tag. And, and that, that's what worries me for young girls coming up today, because typically also a lot of this technology, unfortunately, is written, the code's written by men and written by guys. And so the AI, what worries me is the AI has a very strong sort of backbone driven by, by gender bias. Yes. I think the United Nations did a paper on that. That is a concern, you know, that AI response is sort of gender biased and not intentionally, but it just is by the nature of the people who are writing it, right? It's just representing the bias. It's just amplifying the bias that already exists out there in society. And so I think that that's a real issue that we haven't even started to think about yet. So more girls in that field will help, right? Absolutely. I'm a big advocate for girls to get out there and not be intimidated by code. I mean, the good thing about ChatGPT and other, it's like, you don't need to be a code. You don't need to study code. In fact, I was just chatting with so my data scientists are like, hey, can you just show me how I can create my own code in ChatGPT? Yes. I mean, I can do it. I'm not a computer scientist. So I think just getting over that, it's an intimidation factor. And I think what we need for young girls is more role models so that they see that it is, it's cool to learn how to, to use these capabilities and technologies. How do you talk about and discuss financial responsibility with your daughters? I know we talked about yeah. 
about, you know, the matching program, which is just insanely creative and sounds like your own little mini 401k kind of thing going on at home. What are the most important lessons you're teaching them? You know, debt is a huge problem in the United States, yeah. developed economies. I haven't quite got to the debt piece, but I'm, I'm trying to teach them that, you know, they what they own, they have to be accountable for and that it's not you know, like I said, money doesn't grow on trees. So they get a small allowance. And then outside of that, they, you know, my oldest kid, now that she's able to do some part-time chores and jobs, gets paid for that. And, you know, then what she does with her money, I try to help her guide her on how to use it. And, you know, I make them aware of what everything costs. We don't hide, you know, if we go to dinner, it's like, here's the bill, you know, so you know how expensive the dinner was. Here's the trip, you know, we're going on and this is what it's going to cost. So, my youngest daughter is incredibly financially prudent. I mean, she's so aware. When she, the godmother asked her for Christmas what gift she would like, she literally goes onto Amazon, scrolls through all the prices, and sends her godmother sort of the option that's the cheapest that she's chosen. So she's become pretty price conscious and is always looking for a good deal, if you know what I'm saying. So I think part of it's just making them aware. I'm trying to do what my dad did, which was not hide everything, but at least open their eyes to understand, you know, money's real. And you need to learn how to navigate it and make some good, prudent decisions. You know, don't get ripped off. Saving is a big deal. So that's why I said, that's why we do the matching program and they save their money and they know they're saving towards their car or saving towards their education. Yeah, fantastic, Marie. Finally, what advice do you have for parents raising girls in today's world? It's tough. I got two, one full-on teenager and one tween and it's not easy is all I can say. But I think as a mother... I think the best thing is you're the role model. And that's one way to sort of always think about it. It's a model of behavior that you would like them to emulate. Because I noticed that as I get older, even though you talk to them and they don't acknowledge anything you say, they you turn around and you hear them talking later and it's like a mini me principle. So I think if you, you want them to grow up with great values, you have to live by them yourself. And if you do the right thing, you provide the right environment in terms of you know home life and education and friendships. I think your kids will turn out fine, but I do feel pretty strongly about, you know, making sure you know what they're on in terms of social media. You don't need to be sitting there sort of over them like a, you know, a helicopter, but you do need to talk to them about it and find time at the right point in the week or the month to sit down and talk about what they've been doing. And you need to go look at their accounts. It's important. And so you need to know what's going on because it's just, there's some really bad actors out there. Well, on that note, what a fantastic role model you are. Can't wait for everyone to hear this episode, all the mums out there. Financial responsibility, transparency, and the matching program. And <laughs> the matching program, I love that. I'm thinking like, oh, no, mum. But Marie Myers, it's been a pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you very much and good luck to everybody out there. Catch you again later. Thank you for listening to the Banking on Goals podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate the podcast and be sure to hit subscribe or follow so you can receive notifications of new episodes. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and at bankingongoals.com.